Section 7 of Birds and Nature, Volume 12, Number 4, November 1902. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April 6090, California, United States of America. The Starling The Starling belongs to an interesting family of birds represented in america by but one species and that one only recently introduced in the old world however there are about two hundred species which are widely distributed throughout europe asia and africa the common starling is a native of europe and northern asia and is admitted to the bird fauna of north america both because of its accidental occurrence in greenland and of its introduction into the parks of new york city regarding its introduction into this country mr chapman says that it has been brought across the ocean on several occasions but only in the case of the last importation was the effort to make it establish a home within our borders a success the birds included in this lot about sixty in number were released in central park new york city in eighteen ninety they seem to have left the park and to have established themselves in various favorable places in the upper part of the city they have bred for three successive years in the roof of the museum of natural history and at other points in the vicinity in the suburbs about the northern end of the city they are frequently observed in flocks containing as many as fifty individuals from the fact that it is a resident throughout the year and has endured our most severe winters mr chapman thinks that the species may be regarded as thoroughly naturalized the common starling easily adapts itself to its environment and can withstand quite a diversity of climatic conditions however while it was introduced with difficulty in the eastern united states efforts made to introduce it into the state of oregon have not met with success wherever the conditions are favorable it breeds rapidly and not uncommonly a pair will rear two broods in a season this engaging bird has commanded the attention of observers for centuries pliny speaks of it in his natural history and one writer has said that its varied song its sprightly gestures its glossy plumage and above all its character as an insecticide which last makes it a friend of the agriculturist and the grazier render it an almost universal favorite some of the notes of the starling's song are harsh but on the whole the song is pleasing and heard as they are at a season when every sign of returning spring is eagerly looked for and welcomed are certainly one of the most cheerful sounds that greet the ear its whole energy is thrown into the song which is uttered with ruffled feathers it is also a mimic of no mean order one authority says that it delights in reproducing familiar sounds with the greatest fidelity to truth we have heard individual starlings reproduce the call notes of the skylark goldfinch wagtail and other small birds sometimes we have been startled on a winter's day to recognize the cry of the common sandpiper or the grating call note of a fern owl in the middle of a crowded city and have discovered the author of our astonishment in the person of a starling that is pouring forth his rhapsodies from some neighboring chimney-top pliny says agrippina the wife of claudius caesar had a thrush that could imitate the human speech a thing that was never known before at the moment that i am writing this 
the young caesars have a starling and some nightingales that are being taught to talk in greek and latin besides which they are studying their task the whole day continually repeating new words that they have learnt and giving utterance to phrases even of considerable length the young birds are very no noisy and while feeding and training them the parents are scarcely less so so great in fact is this noisy babble that it often becomes very unpleasant the starling is a gregarious bird at all times but this habit is more marked after the breeding season has passed it has its favorite haunts and though a flock may be dispersed during the daytime while feeding all will congregate in the favorite locality at nightfall mr william yarrell in his british birds gives an interesting anecdote regarding the abundance and social habits of the starling speaking of an english estate he says this locality is an evergreen plantation covering several acres to which these birds repair in an evening i was going to say and i believe i might truly say by millions from the low ground about the severn where the noise is something altogether unusual by packing in such myriads upon the evergreens they have stripped them of their leaves except just at the tops and have driven the, the pheasants for whom the plantation was intended quite away from the grounds regarding their nesting and mating habits mr henry c bohm says early in april sometimes not until the beginning of may the starlings have mostly mated and gone to their breeding holes previous to this however much quarrelling goes on for the choice of suitable sites the strong gain the best holes while the weak seek quarters elsewhere the starling will build its nest almost anywhere and it needs but slight encouragement to take up its quarters in any suitable hole or box placed for its reception it will even dislodge large tiles and burrow considerable distances under the eaves and its bulky nest often stops up some spout to the dismay of the householder a hole in the gable or inside the dovecot are also favorite places while its partiality for holes in the trees is none the less it also commonly breeds in ruins churches and old masonry of every description in the wilder portions of the country the starling selects a hole either in a tree or a rock for its purpose and it will often breed in great numbers in caves or in crevices of the ocean cliffs the nest is not a fine piece of bird architecture it is coarse and slovenly constructed with dry grass fibers twigs small roots rags twine paper and in fact of any substance that strikes the fancy of the bird it is lined though not always with wool vegetable down and feathers at times when the nest is placed in hollow trees the bedding consists of powdered wood the starling returns to the same site year after year but always builds a new nest though the starling will often pilfer fruit trees especially late in the season it is of great service to man for its chief food consists of worms larvae and various adult insects it is a voracious feeder and thus destroys a large number of forms and insect life many of which are very destructive to plant life it is almost as closely associated with man as the sparrow but unlike the sparrow it is much more able to adapt itself to a change of surroundings End of section seven.